Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Good morning, I'm Luke Hamilton. This is my wife, Caroline, and we are partners here at Old Town Church. Um, This morning's scripture comes from Philippians 3, uh, verse 12 through Philippians 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, Old Town Church. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, so glad to have, uh, hi, hi, good to see you. Thanks for that wave. I'll take that. I mean, we're, we're a family here. We can wave to one another as, as we join in. A lot of new faces this morning, and we're just glad. I don't know if some of y'all are here with family over Thanksgiving or if you're new to Old Town, but uh, just would encourage all of us, even after the service, just to, to meet one another and spend some time hanging out and get to know one another. Um, you know, a uh, long time ago, 1954, there, were this, there was this guy who was like, I think, I think I can run a mile in under four minutes. Now, I don't know, I've never had that thought myself. I'm like, if I can run a mile in under 10 minutes, that would be swell, but under four minutes is, is a stretch, right? But there was this guy, Roger Bannister, who was like, I, I can run a mile in under four minutes. So he trained at that. And he was the, in, in all of the world, in all of history that's recorded, he was the first person to run a mile in under four minutes. And, and at the same time, there was a, a number of other runners who were trying to do that same thing. And, and one of the other guys who was able to do it was a guy named John Landy. And, and in 1954, uh, these two guys, Roger Bannister and John Landy, were in a race together uh, where multiple athletes were running the mile. And these two guys ended up in the finals of this race where they're going to run the mile. So the world was watching. Everyone was like, okay, these guys. And it was actually one of the first televised events where they were televising this, this thing live. And so uh, these, these two guys were, were running in the same race together. And, and when the race set out, 
Landy took the sizable lead on Bannister. All right? he, was, he was out. They're doing four laps around the track, basically. So by lap three, Landy had this big lead, and, and Bannister knew, I've got to start kicking it here to catch up with this guy. And so he started running a little bit faster, a little bit faster. And as lap four came around, right when they're getting towards the end, Landy looks back over his left shoulder. And at that moment, Bannister passed him on the right and ended up winning the race by point eight seconds. Both men running under a four-minute mile, which is impressive, but it was that one little looking back that gave Bannister that extra little edge he needed to go ahead and win the race by 0.8 seconds, which is nothing, all right? And, and, it, and I just imagine like how that moment would have felt, that slight little moment of looking back and how it derailed Landy from the task that he had set before him. Now, it, it takes a lot of focus to run a race like that and to train for something like that. Just show of hands, has anyone ever run a mile in under four minutes? Truthfully, truthfully. All right, a lot of little liars in the room. I will call you out for that. All right. Um, but I mean, the, the intensity and the focus it would take to actually train for that and accomplish it, not just say I want to do that, but to actually do it. Uh, but when I think about that kind of intensity and, and focus, it reminds me of my own apathy, like my, my own unwillingness um, uh, towards pursuing something. And even in my own life, at times, my own apathy towards pursuing things that are very important to me, like running a four minute mile was really important to these guys. And so they set their whole life trajectory towards it for that season. And, and for me, I, there are things that I would say are very important in my life. And I can find myself just so apathetic at times towards pursuing those things. And I think this is just a reality that maybe we can all identify with, or at least I hope so. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but just of, of our apathy in life towards pursuing things that are most important to us. And I think that's just part of our, our fallen condition. It's part of the sin that we deal with. And so I think though, in, in our passage today, the apostle Paul is going to give us some encouragement and some practical wisdom towards battling against that apathy and keeping our minds fixed on, on what is ahead. And so here's our big idea for today. The mission of every believer is a single-minded pursuit of maturing in Christ-likeness. The mission of every believer, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ here today, this is your mission. It's a single-minded pursuit of maturing in Christ-likeness. As believers, we're to be actively committed to the call of Christ. Knowing Christ should radically reorient everything else in our lives. And, and so it's almost the filter through which we see everything. When I was a kid, uh, I, I used to go to this camp and they had this thing called tetherball. Has anyone, show of hands, has anyone ever played tetherball? Yes, good, this will land with you then, all right? So I think about that all the time, all right? There's this pole in the ground, or at least this is how I played it, a pole in the ground and a rope with a ball on the end, and you just keep hitting that ball, and you're trying to be the one who winds the ball all the way around the pole, all right? And so I always think about tetherball because that ball cannot go anywhere. Its whole life of that ball is wound around that one pole. And I think about that in my walk with Christ, like how it should be is that my life is, my life is tethered to Christ. Like everything in my life revolves around him. It's always connected to him in some way. Sometimes I'm a little further out, right? But, but it's always, and my goal is just to wind as close as I can. I'm tethered to him. 
And so the truth as a believer is that our entire life should be oriented around the things of Christ, not this like side hobby. Like Christianity is like our side hustle. It's this thing we do, like I'm really just kind of building my own thing. And then over on the side over here, I've got like the Christian thing. So, every, you know, two Sundays a month, I'll, I'll give you two Sundays or, or I'll join a small group, but only for a season. Or, you know, it's like this, this uh, you know, you want me to read the Bible? Like, yeah, maybe, maybe every once in a while, right? Like, I think what we're going to be called to this morning is something way more than that. And so Old Town Church, I'll just tell you right here from the beginning, I, I would like to this morning raise the bar of what it means or what you think it means to follow Christ. And I'm not doing it on my own accord. I'm just going to try and, and show us what the scripture has for us this morning. But there is, is more to Christ, the object of our faith, than just this little side hobby that we have that we might call our faith or our religion. And so let's be challenged this morning by God's word in Philippians 3, chapter, verse 12 through 4, verse 1. And so here's our first point. Spiritual maturity is developed as we aggressively pursue knowing Christ. Spiritual maturity is developed as we aggressively pursue knowing Christ. Listen to verses 12 through 16 here. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, in the context, in the previous verses that Paul, Paul begins this by saying, not that I have already obtained this, the this that he's referring back to is found in verses 1 through 11, where, where he's, he's talking about how everything that he had gained was rubbish to him for the sake of knowing Christ. Like he would throw all of that away just to know Christ more, to be found in Christ. And so the knowledge of Christ, the, the maturity in Christ's likeness was his sole aim in life. Everything else to him was rubbish, all right? And so Paul's saying, I haven't already obtained that. I'm not, I'm not actually there yet, but what I do is I press on. And, and I, I really enjoyed studying the verbs in, in this passage this week because they're so enlightening to what Paul is saying here. When he says press on, that word there is, it means to move rapidly, decisively, energetically and aggressively towards an object, right? There is this aggression towards it. There is this, this all-out abandonment towards that thing. It's aggressive. It's forceful. It's proactive, all right? And I use, even in our point, I use that word aggressively to describe the way in which we should pursue knowing Christ because that's the image that Paul is painting, painting here. It should, be, it should be wild. It should be untamed in a way. Our, our pursuit of Christ should be aggressive. It's something that we go after. And, and Paul says, he says, I press on to make it my own. And that make it my own is this, this, this imagery of seizing something, all right, that you're going to you're going to take it by force, all right? You're, you're going to take something with extreme effort. So, so visual illustration for you here. And I thought about, like, I wanted to get a couple of middle school guys and, like, really, like, actively play this out, but I was afraid someone would get hurt. So instead, I'll just try and paint a picture for you, but one you haven't seen over the last couple of months watching football on TV. When, when someone is carrying the ball and they drop it, what's that called? Fumble, right? And when that, when that ball hits the ground, what do people do? 
man, they dive at that thing. Things get wild. I have been at the bottom of that pile, all right? I don't know how many of you have been at the bottom of that pile. It is not a pretty place, all right? It smells bad, the things people say about your mom. It's, it is not good to be down there, all right? And they will do whatever they can to get that ball. They, they are, it does not matter who you are. I watched a lot, a lot of football yesterday. Maybe that's an idol I need to repent of, but it, it was a good day. And so, so I watched a lot of football, and there was a couple of hits in a game where two guys were coming full steam at each other, and it, it was just reckless men, and they were going for it. They were going to get that ball, to seize that ball with everything that it took from them, and that's the picture Paul's painting here. This idea of wildly and aggressively, without thought of what it will cost you, seizing that thing with everything that you have. And what Paul is saying is, I am, I am pressing on, I'm, I'm aggressively pursuing this thing, I'm going to seize it, and that thing is Christ. That thing is maturity in Christ, that thing is knowing Christ, that thing is being found in Him, that the pursuit of maturity in Christ is something that we pursue with reckless abandon. And I love what he says right after this at the end of verse 12, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here, here is the, the why and the how. We can only do this because first of all, we've seen it modeled through Christ in our lives, that, that he took hold of us that he, with reckless abandon, with great sacrifice, grabbed hold of us. He seized us up out of death and brought us into life. Christ took hold of us, and this is why we press on to take hold of them. So Paul in verse 13 says, but I'm not there yet. But, but forgetting what lies behind and, and straining towards what lies ahead. This idea is, is that I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to be John Landy here where I look back at what I have accomplished. You see, Landy, when he was running that race, thought he had a lead on Bannister. And so he looked back to see how big his lead was. And, and what, that's what Paul is saying here. He had just listed in his, uh, we've talked last week or a couple weeks ago about Paul sometimes comes off as kind of arrogant. Like he had just listed all of these accomplishments, all these spiritual accomplishments. And, and so what Paul is saying is I don't look behind and, and look at those things. I'm not holding on to what has happened in the past. I'm straining towards what is ahead. He doesn't look back on those past accomplishments. He's, he's straining He's exerting maximum effort to the uttermost, reaching out for what lies ahead, like a runner trying to run a sub four minute mile. It takes everything in your body to do that. And at the very end, you're even just stretching. If you've seen runners run a race, they're stretching, they're trying to, if my nose is long enough, maybe I can be the first one over the, they're just straining towards everything, towards what's ahead. Now the question is what is ahead? It's Christ. It's being found in him. It's eternity with him. It's being, as we'll read in the rest of this passage, it's being a citizen of the kingdom of God, that there is a, a different kingdom that we belong to. And so as Paul's talking about, I'm not looking behind, but I'm looking ahead, that ahead that he sees is his eternity with Christ, being found, being, as we saw in, in, at the beginning of this book, being completed that work that Christ began, he will be faithful to complete. That's what Paul is straining towards. That's what he has a gaze fixed on. And so Paul says in verse 14, so I press on toward the prize. Paul acknowledges in these verses, like I, I'm, I'm not uh, perfect yet. 
I haven't arrived at the finish line. And so he, he's, but he's striving forward. He's pressing on. He's single-mindedly reaching out for the prize that is Christ Jesus. And that goal is knowing him, delighting in him, and being found in him for eternity. Now, I want to be clear. He's not, he's not trying to earn his salvation. Okay, so this is not Paul saying like, strive and strain and work so that you can be saved. In the context of this whole book, the idea is that once you are saved, you work out that salvation. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a being who you are. You are saved already, and so you live within that salvation. And in that salvation, you are, you are growing towards maturity. You are, you are l- l- seeking to live in obedience to Christ. And so the goal is to, to know him, to delight in him. And then in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way, all right? Let, let the mature think towards this way, that we're going to strive, we're going to strain, we're going to seize Christ, and we're going to keep our eyes fixed on what's ahead. And, and that if you, if, if you don't think that way, that God's going to reveal, reveal that to you, right? And so part, part of what Paul's saying here is spiritual maturity, it doesn't actually develop pride in you. You don't look back on your accomplishments and say, oh, look what I've done, right? Like we're not looking back, we're looking ahead towards Christ's likeness. And so it actually produces a greater humility in you. Uh, the, the, the believers that I've been around who are uh, more mature in the faith, I won't use the word old, I guess I just did. But anyhow, you know what I mean? Like, as they, as they have grown in their walk with the Lord, the ones that I've found that have been truly mature have actually grown deeper in humility. They're not walking around boasting about all they've done. If anything, the, some of the believers that I've been around that are more mature in their faith have studied the Word way more than I ever have. And, and they come to find that the more they study it, the less they realize they knew. Because His Word is that deep and that rich. And so they're all the more set to knowing it more and striving to know him more through his word. Spiritual maturity doesn't produce pride, it produces humility. And, and God will, if we do produce that pride, if we, if we aren't thinking in that way, God will reveal that to us in his goodness, in his grace to us. One of the things that God does as an act of, of kindness in our life is reveal that sin to us. He shows us, hey, listen, you know, here's some things that aren't right in the way that you're thinking. He, he does that not to shame us, but to help us, because ultimately his goal is also to make us more like him. And so in verse 16, Paul says to hold true to what we have attained. Part of the effort of spiritual maturity is, is recognizing how false thinking can creep in or, or pride can distort the growth that's already been achieved. And so Paul says, hold true, grasp, grasp tightly to what you've already attained, to, to where you are. Don't, don't let that slip, ar- slip away. Like, like we said, God has begun this work. He will be faithful to complete it. But in that in-between, there is, there is a labor on our end. There is a striving. There is a straining towards knowing him, of grabbing hold to him, of holding true to the work that he's doing in us. And so we've got to fight hard, church, not to let false gospels or pride or wrongful thinking infect the good work that's being done in you. And, and so there's this idea here that Paul's presenting of being proactively protective, that you are protecting your mind and your heart from the messages that the world would, would uh, creep in there that could distort or, or hinder your sanctification. So, so press on. And listen, I, I think one of our greatest enemies in this work is, is really just distraction. I, I think it's a, a loss of focus on what's most important. We get so wrapped up in the things of this world, and we lose sight 
uh, of the most important thing. And I think one of the greatest tricks that the enemy does in this, it just keeps us busy. Like, I don't know how it is for you. Like, even in the holidays, I like, there's like all these different parties and different events and all this different stuff. It's like the holidays are like this time to like relax, but almost gets busier and in like a weird way. No, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I love this. This is like my favorite time of year. All right. But, but we can get so distracted and busy in the things of this world that we lose sight of, of what's going on. And so the enemy, he's just going, hey, look over here. Hey, look, look at that right there. Look. And, and Christ is over here, right? So the enemy's like, hey, woo, like trying to get us to lose sight of what's most important by just saying, hey, look, there's this good thing. And I don't think any of you in here are struggling with like drug dealing. Maybe you are, and we can talk about that. But like, it's not all of these bad things. And sometimes maybe it is, but a lot of times it's just like neutral stuff. Like in my life, it's become house hunters. I'll be honest, like I, I, these are things I don't like to admit sometimes. We, we watch Friends every night before bed. I know some of you pray before bed and I'm so thankful for you. Um, we watch Friends, and then when we get bored of that, we, we've been watching House Hunters. And, and so that's like this neutral thing in my life, and I'm, I'm not saying the Lord's calling me to give that up yet. And so, you know, we'll see, but like, that's just, I'm just, I'm trying to name some neutral things that it's like, is it bad? No, maybe not. Is it doing something to my heart? Maybe, and I just don't realize it. But like, it's more just, it's distracting me. And I know my phone for sure distracts me from actually thinking deeply on the things of God. And so it's just this distraction. The enemy fools us into pursuing things of the world that we end up spending this lifetime just building these kingdoms here on earth that, spoiler alert, you don't, you don't take it with you. Like, you're, this life is short, comparatively speaking. Like, you're, you're going to die. It's, it's a reality. And, and so I, I want to call us to actually think seriously about the end, to take a moment and think like, okay, if, if, if my little life here, whether it's 30 or 70 or 90 years, is still tiny in comparison to the eternity that's ahead, what is it that I'm building? What is it that I'm giving my mind and my energy and my thought to? And so what is distracting you from aggressively pursuing knowing Christ? And church, I just want to challenge you to think about that this week. I want you to take some time this week, take some time today, even take some time later in our service just to pray. Like, what's distracting me from aggressively going after seizing knowing Christ? One of the greatest steps, I just want to encourage you to do this, that you could do this week, is find somebody else, whether it's in your small group or a friend or one of the pastors here or whatever, and just like talk about that. Like, hey, can we just talk about what's, what's distracting me from aggressively pursuing Christ? Like, let's sit down and talk about that together. I just want to encourage you, like, maybe that's one of the best things you could do, a step you could take. That's like, hey, could you and I just like grab some coffee or talk on the phone and talk about what's distracting us from aggressively pursuing Christ? Anyhow. Spiritual maturity is developed by an aggressive pursuit of knowing Christ. And then in verse 17 through 19, we'll see that spiritual maturity is developed as we follow godly examples. Look at these verses. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly 
things. Listen, examples are a big part of, of our growth in life. We learn so much simply just through observation. All right, and so uh, as we have grown up, each of us probably, we could give examples of like, hey, this teacher or this person or this neighbor <clears throat> was this really positive example in my life. Or this kid or this other, like this person was a really negative example in my life. And, and I'm, I, I'm happy to report that um, in my life, I did not give way to a very negative example that some of you might have, and that's getting the bowl cut. I was thinking about things that like we do that don't make any sense, right? But the bowl cut, there was a season for it. And uh, like everything, sometimes those seasons come back. But somebody put a bowl on their head and then cut the hair around it and then took the bowl off and was like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's what I want right there. And then other people saw that and were like, let's roll. I'm doing that too, all right? And so the bowl cut is an example of a negative example, all right? This is a negative influence on your life. If you're considering the bowl cut, come talk to someone. Um, find a pastor at the end of the service. But, um, uh, you know, just in my opinion, a negative example. But examples are important, right? They, they paint a picture for us of what it would be like to be at the goal, all right? And so, so we look at people who are maybe further along and say, okay, maybe that's what it would be like if I were there. And we set all kinds of examples in our lives. Examples are important. So far in this book, Paul has given a few positive examples to follow himself, which is weird that he says it, but he does. Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Jesus. I mean, ultimately, he, he puts Jesus out there as our ultimate example. Listen, following godly examples is one way that we develop spiritual maturity. And so Paul says, join in imitating me. Now, now, when you hear Paul say that, like if anyone came up to you and was like, hey, you should imitate me, you're like, <laughs> sure. You know, it's like, no, I don't think so. But Paul, in other verses, what he'll say is, follow me as I follow Christ. So the goal is always Christ. So don't like, Paul is just saying, hey, I'm on my way. And, and so why don't you follow me as I follow Christ? It's like, let's head in that same direction. Maybe I'm a couple steps further down the road, but you just follow me because I'm following him. And so ultimately the pursuit is always Christ. And, and so he says, keep your eyes on those who walk like us. We're instructed by Paul to find people that are, that are a little bit ahead and, and imitate them, to follow them. It's a call to look for spiritual examples to follow. Now, some examples might not be people we know or, or people that are with us any, any longer. I, I know as someone who's been a, had a really big impact in my life is an author named Andrew Murray. Never met him. He's an older dude. He writes a language I can't read all the time. But his books have really, God has used his writing in a big way in my life to really speak to some areas in my life that I just needed truth to be spoken into. And so Andrew Murray's been a big influence in my life. And, and I know for me, uh, uh, you know, personally, one, one example that the scripture tells us to follow even within the church is, is the elders of the church. And as an elder of the church, that's terrifying to me, all right? That, that ultimately from a scriptural standpoint as an elder, part of what I'm supposed to do is model what it looks like to follow Christ. And that's terrifying. That's terrifying for me, but it also keeps me focused on the pursuit of Christ. I ask, like, and I'm really bad at this, by the way, just so you know, in my personal individual thoughts, if you knew what went on in my head, you would be like, I do not want to follow that guy. But knowing that this church has affirmed me as an elder in moments keeps me focused towards the pursuit of Christ. And I also know for me personally, there are many of you that have been examples to me as I observe you following Christ. There are many, and I just want to say it very clearly, there are many women in this church 
that have had a significant impact on my walk with Christ. I am so thankful for the sisters of Old Town Church and the way that they are pursuing Christ uh, and in the ways that they seek to know him, delight in him. In the scripture, I see sacrifice and focus in their lives, and I'm sharpened by it. And, and so I can look out and see examples like, I, I want to be more like that. And, and, so, and so we observe each other. There's many men in this church also that I've seen serve so selflessly and have demonstrated humility in the face of, of sin being exposed or uh, weakness being exposed. And these are examples that I seek to follow. But I think it's also a challenge, as Paul's telling us to look for those examples, that we step back and say, I, you know, maybe the challenge is also for me to be that example for someone to follow. Not that we should live our lives for the approval of others. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I need to set myself up for other people to follow. Not that, but like, just asking yourself daily, like, is, is what I'm doing right now an example for a person who's younger in the faith, less mature in the faith to follow? And let that press you forward. Let that be part of your, as you're pressing on to reach and strain towards what's ahead, feel a little bit of the pressure from behind too. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe we can push each other as we go in that direction. And I'd be remiss not to point out the, the significance of biblical community in this. That in order for you really to actually be able to follow someone or see them as an example to follow, that you would be in community with them, encouraged by their example, being around them, seeing them in life, not looking for perfection, guys, you won't find it, okay? We are going to fail you. You're going to get in a small group and be like, you want me to follow these people? And, and my answer is maybe not in all aspects of their life, but we're all sinning and striving and struggling and straining towards what's ahead. And so we can, we can model and follow after each other's pursuit of Christ. And so if you're just observing us from the sidelines, I just want to challenge you to take some steps in engaging this faith family, to, to join with us, come alongside us. We'll actually be better as you engage more that you are part of what makes Old Town Church stronger as a faith family. Not so that we can grow our church large, but so that we as a people can grow deep in our pursuit of the knowledge of Christ. And so Paul instructs us to follow godly examples as a way of maturing spiritually. But with it comes a warning of who not to follow too. In verses 18 and 19, Paul talks about, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he describes them, right? So it's not really clear who's Paul, who Paul's talking about. Like earlier in Philippians, he was talking about some people who were preaching the gospel with, with wrong motives. There's a lot of, I don't think that's necessarily who Paul's talking about here. It's not really clear, but he does describe them. And, and what he says is their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They, they, they're following their appetites. They're, they're, they're seeking self-pleasure in the way that they live their life. They, they glory in their shame, meaning they're celebrating the things that are sinful. They, they actually revel in those things. And, and ultimately what he says is their minds are set on earthly things. Now that phrase might sting a little bit more. It might be easier for you not to identify with those who are glorying in their shame. But as you think about your mind being set on earthly things, I think that one might sting us just a little bit here. Church, let this be a challenge to you to consider who you value. Like who, everybody look at me real quick. I'm just like a tension moment. Who is it that you are giving influence to in your life? Like think about it. Think about who, who are you consuming as you scroll through your phone? Who are you looking up to? Who's, whose advice would you follow? Who's, like, who is it that you are giving influence to 
in your own life. We, we live in a culture that has actually made being a social media influencer a profession, all right? That, that, that what this means is that their primary role is to influence you, to influence what you think, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what you think is valuable. They're influencers. You should buy this. You should do that. You should look like this. We, we got to be aware of this, church. This is, this is us getting sucked into that world so rapidly. Don't assume that you're not impacted by this. And so let this be a wake-up call for us. And, and students, if you are 6th through 12th grade, I look at me right now, they're coming after you specifically. You are the target. I just want you to know that. And this isn't like, be afraid. This is be aware. Be aware that you are being targeted in order to fit this idea of what you should be. And I, I just want to say to you, all you need to be is just a son or daughter of the Lord enjoying and delighting in him. And so be mindful as you're who it is you're consuming, who it is you're giving influence to. And that's not just for students, that's for adults as well. Are there voices that you are allowing to impact how you think or what you believe without checking it first against the scripture. Guys, we come, and I'm talking about me. I'll just go on and say this right now. Check me against this all the time, all the time. Don't believe what I say. It, you, 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 you check it against this. This is what matters. And so in order to do that, we've got to be in this. And so let this moment be a warning to us just to hold true in a world of endless content, of podcasts and social media and books on tape and what, I guess not tape, books on digital and whatever else. Like, and in this, there's this constant content for us to consume. Who are we allowing to influence us in that way? We need to be aware of who we're following as an example. And secondarily, like I said earlier, are you living in a way that others could follow? And again, I'm not saying the goal here is to try and puff yourself up, but more just to let it be a check to you. Am I modeling what younger believers could follow? And so a question for reflection for you is what kind of example am I setting for anyone who's imitating me? What kind of example am I setting for anyone who's imitating me? As, as we consider the idea of following examples, we must always consider and be reminded that any earthly, godly example that we follow is still just a shadow of Christ himself. We, we will fail each other. We won't always be worthy of following, but he never fails that. Our earthly, godly examples are just shadows of the true example. And so spiritual maturity is developed as we aggressively pursue knowing Christ as we follow godly examples, and finally, as we walk as citizens of our true kingdom. And this is going to be a really short point, but I think it's a really important one. Look at verse 20 through chapter 4, verse 1. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power, guys, I'm reading something right here, and it's a bunch of spiritual words. I just want us to slow down and actually think about these words. I'm going to reread this because I felt myself just like reading it to get through it. Let's look at the words on the screen, and let's think about what this is actually talking about. I'm going to start over. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body 
to be like his glorious body. That's the transformation that's going to occur. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is contrasting here that ungodly example of a mindset on earthly things versus a mindset on heavenly things, someone whose citizenship is in heaven. He's saying those, those who are not believers in Christ, those who are only living for this one very short life here on this earth with, with no thought of what awaits them in eternity, and he's contrasting that with that, that earthly mindset with those whose gaze is set on Jesus, who, who saved us and will complete us. He will transform us into that finished image of him. And it is this exact thing that we keep our eyes fixed on as we live life here on this earth. That we understand, like a lot of you this past weekend, you were visitors at someone's house. Did anyone travel away for Thanksgiving? Like show of hands, did you go to somebody else's house? One person, two, I see those. The, wow, y'all stayed around. Okay, we did, all right. We were just visitors in Columbia for a day or two. That was, that's not our, our permanent home. We were just there for a short time. That, that short two days in Columbia is like my life here on this earth. It is short. I'm just a visitor. That's not where I belong. That's not my home. And so our life here is so short in comparison to our eternity. And so we should let that future reality impact how you live today. That we live in light of eternity. That we keep eternity in mind. That our, our gaze is fixed on what is ahead. And so, and so a question for you this morning is how are you spending this one life? How are you? Is it, is it focused on the reality of your eternity or is it consumed with the things of this earth? And again, this is not shame. This is not heaping shame on you. Like shame on you, you should be a better Christian. And what? No, 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 no. This is just like, let's step back and let the Lord reveal to us when we're not thinking in the way that we should be. Let him reveal to us when our gaze is so fixed on what's here that we can't see what's ahead. And so our job as believers is to remember who we are. You're citizens of the kingdom of God. You're a visitor here. And so we set our minds towards that and let that impact how we live today. Not living today in light of an eternity that we're not even fixed our gaze on. Church, just remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Let the reality of what kingdom you truly belong to impact how you visit here on this earth. We're just visitors awaiting a future so glorious and wonderful. I found this quote by C.S. Lewis, and I, I just, I know sometimes it's hard to hear quotes and I don't have it on the screen, so this might not do anything for you, but I'll just read it for me. He said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Lewis here is capturing this idea of us fixing our gaze on what's ahead so that the impact we have in this present day has a future eternity. And so we back to our big idea. The mission of every believer is a single-minded pursuit of maturing in Christ-likeness. 
One little phrase that I, I skipped over earlier, I just want to come back to, is in verse 13, Paul said, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. But one thing I do. There's this idea of the single-minded focus. Paul was summarizing this idea of an aggressive pursuit of knowing Christ. And he talked about the single-mindedness with which he pursues this. And so church, questions for you this morning. I mean, I've thrown out a lot of things for you to consider this week. I think the scripture calls us to come back to it and ask questions of ourselves, what we're pursuing, what we're focused on. Is there something in my life that I need to eliminate that's creating this busyness, this distraction, this noise, these voices that I'm listening to that ultimately aren't examples I should follow? What do you need to give up to aggressively pursue knowing him more? Church, I challenge us this week not to let apathy interfere with a reckless pursuit of taking hold of the one who has first taken hold of you. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I, like, I get, just, Lord, you know, I get so overwhelmed with passages like this because I'm like, oh, there's all this stuff I'm not doing and all this stuff I should be doing. And so, Lord, anyone who thinks like me right now and feels overwhelmed, I just pray that you would speak to them and, and comfort them, calm them, say, no, I'm here with you, Lord. Remind us that you are with us on this road of sanctification. God, would you show us what you want us to be mindful of this week? And God, I pray for those who, who are just apathetic right now, who are in this room like, oh goodness, can you just get this over with so that I can watch football or do whatever later or fix that home project, whatever's ahead. God, would you would you wake us up, Lord, myself included, just shake us up out of that apathy. And Father, I pray for those who aren't in you today, who, who, who aren't believers in you, who have not experienced that salvation, God, that you would, by your power, save those that you have called. God, would you give them the faith to believe in you today? God, that's your work, and we trust you with it. That's in your great mighty name we pray. Amen.